0: I mean, it's been 400 years of a lot of like trauma and oppress- uh, oppression that has plagued Black and Brown people, and it's not gonna it's not gonna be undone overnight. From UW Tacoma, this is Pod Defiance.
1: Welcome to Pod Defiance, where we don't lecture, but we do educate. I'm Eric Wilson Edge. Today on the pod. Policing, Accountability, and Activism with Katrina Johnson. In 2017, Johnson's cousin, Charlena Lyles, was shot and killed by Seattle police, who were responding to a burglary call made by Ms. Lyles. The shooting led to protests and calls for change. Until that point, Johnson planned on becoming a nurse. Instead, she committed herself to pushing for police reform. On this episode, UW Tacoma alumna Christian Bell talks with Johnson about her advocacy work around Initiative 940, which, among other things, requires police officers to go through de-escalation training. The pair also discussed Johnson's involvement with Governor Inslee's task force, as well as what life is like now that Johnson has stepped into the spotlight. One note about this episode, it was recorded the week of August 17th, at a time when there was some breaking news related to the issues you're about to hear.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to Pod Defiance. My name is Christian Bell, and I'm joined here today with Katrina Johnson. Katrina, would you be able to tell us a bit about it yourself?
0: Absolutely. Um, my name is Katrina Johnson. Uh, Johnson. I'm a social justice advocate and activist. Um, I am the first cousin of Charlena Lyles, and the spokesperson for our family. Um, professionally. Um, I am a former project manager for Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, and now I am the lead organizer for Vocal Washington, which is Voices of Community uh, Leaders and Activists.
2: Thank you. Can you explain your relationship with your cousin, Charlena, and who she was
0: as a person? So um, Charlena was my first cousin. Um, Her mom and my dad were brother and sister um and so we grew up together spent a lot of time together um and i mean who she was as a person i mean above everything else i mean she was you know a human being deserving of life um and she's a, she was a mother of four um with her fifth child on the on the way at her time of being killed by law enforcement um, and, you know, she was, uh, she was a cousin, she was a mother, she was a friend, um, you know, she was an aunt. Um, that's who Charlene was and is to us.
2: Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, would you be able to describe your journey to Jay Inslee's task force? And what other work were you involved with prior um, to being appointed that shaped your current activism?
0: Um, so (laughs) my journey to the task force. Um, so shortly after, um, Charlena was killed, um, and we knew that we wouldn't receive justice in the way we thought, um, I started working on initiative 940, um, for police accountability, um, rendering first aid de-escalation, um, through, uh, not this time, an organization that I spent a lot of time volunteering with. Um, but I also work with families um, nationally on police reform and internationally. Um, I've done work um, through Amnesty International, and currently I am one of the co-founders of Families are the Frontline, um, which um, provides rapid response for families all across the nation. Um, And I think that body of work and um, all of the panels and things that um, I've done in the community since um, Charlena's death um, kind of like um, put me in the place to be able to be, um, represent my community and represent impacted families um, because impacted families are the experts on what works and doesn't work for when uh, police use of deadly force is used. And I believe that that is why um, um, I was selected to be on the governor's task force can you explain why this task force is necessary i think um the task force became necessary when we realized that um there were some loopholes in 940 and that um even though 940 was enacted into law that people were still being killed by law enforcement and we were finding out that the police were still investigating themselves and not actually adhering to the actual law um at all, especially in Tacoma, uh, to be exact. Um, And I think that that um, is what led to this. And I think even more so after the death of Manny Ellis, um, it became abundantly clear that, um, you know, even if we turn it over to another law enforcement agency, there could still be ties and mingling within that and we need a set of individuals and a completely independent entity to um, do uh, use of force deadly investigations. Um, what are you hoping to accomplish on the task force? My one and only goal on this task force is to not have law enforcement officers investigating themselves when deadly force is used. Um, I have yet to see that they are able to um, be objective in doing so um, and render a transparent um, investigation um, on behalf of community. Um, And so for me, I need to see a completely independent entity take over that. um, And I don't want people to think that it would not um, involve people who may have been formally with law enforcement and things like that who are well-versed in Um, investigations, uh, criminal investigations, homicide investigations, but it will not be active sworn officers doing those investigations at that time.
2: Some things I'm seeing are accountability and transparency. And I was wondering, how do we restore trust between the Black community
0: and law enforcement? Do you feel those things would help? I think that we have a lot of work to do to get there. I think that um, if we are able to get a completely independent investigative body to um, investigate uses of police deadly force, that that would go a long way in uh, restoring um, faith within the um, black and brown communities. But I mean, when we start talking about uh, policing in general and the historical uh, content behind policing, um You know, we have to make sure that we realize that I mean it's been four hundred years of a lot of like trauma and oppress uh oppression that has plagued black and brown people, and it's not gonna it's not gonna be undone overnight um and then we have to start thinking about what does policing look like and mean within the context of community period right um you were also Seattle's lead program
2: um, manager or project manager. I was wondering what your work entails
0: with that position. That was a fascinating job, let me tell you. (laughs) 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 I didn't know how fascinating it was actually gonna be until I started. Uh, When I first initially joined um, the Public Defender Association um, as a project manager, I didn't know exactly what I was going to be doing. Um, but I knew at that time that, you know, as an impacted family member, that I just thought that all police were just like completely bad, terrible individuals and they killed people. Um, that was the only reference that I had. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised after starting um, and, you know, really getting entrenched in doing that work, um, some of the great relationships that I was able to make uh, working, along li- uh, working along law enforcement Um, and, you know, I think it was a a transformational process, not only for me, but for a lot of the officers that I actually worked with. And, um, you know, like I still talk to some of them, like we actually, and that for me to even say that, that's a little bit of a surprise. Um, but you know, they're not all bad individuals. I do not believe that, you know, everyone is set who is a law enforcement officer is out there to, um. Uh, steal, kill, and destroy. Um, I think that there are um, some bad apples, um, whatever that means exactly, you know, like how does that all shake out? But I know that I've met some really great officers um, doing great work on behalf of community uh, while being um, a project manager, and I don't take any of that for granted. Um, And the whole program itself was really um, helping uh, low-level offenders Um, be diverted out of the criminal justice system into community-based resources for, you know, um, behavioral health conditions, extreme poverty. Um, And I mean, I enjoyed that work. I think it's much, it's severely needed within community. And if we're going to talk about defunding the police, um, I know that um, more of those resources need to be made available for programs like this um, to restore people back to their community with greater um wrap services um no matter where they are on the uh continuum of care
2: right and um you also did work with the rest program would you be able to tell us
0: what the rest program is and what you were doing with that program so rest stands for real escape from the sex trade um and i was there um i worked in the emergency receiving shelter um for just under two years um And we manned a 24 hour, seven day a week hotline, helping um, give resources and uh, relocate people um, who were um, caught up in the sex trade um, from all over the nation. Um, It was very meaningful work. Um, I didn't know going in that I would see lots of people that looked like me. Um, And so that was surprising going um, in, as many people of color are actually in the sex trade um and then we're talking about you know survival sex workers as well and you know seeing some of the horrors that took place but um i believe that um rest does lots of meaningful work on behalf of the community and helping um these individuals um because it's not just women um you know The emergency receiving shelter was 18 and up, but we did have to do a lot of work with um, sometimes folks that and people that were under the age of 18 um, being sex trafficked um, and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, men run about 50 percent to women being um, sexually trafficked as well. That's not talked about a lot and Pierce County is somehow flying under the radar, which is uh, with as much sex trafficking that happens throughout um, Pierce County, including Tacoma. How's the pandemic affecting your current
2: work and what adjustments have been made so that you can work effectively, but also safely?
0: So as far as like um, my professional work, we're working remotely from home, um, but as a impacted family member and advocate within the community, you know we still got to go out there um i go to protest i lead protest um i help organize rallies and things like that you just try to uh, take as many uh safety precautions as you possibly can making sure that you have hand sanitizer and everyone's ma- wearing masks and things like that and i think so far so good um you're not hearing a lot of like protesters coming down with covid and stuff like that especially when you start talking about you know, people of color who are falling victim to uh, COVID-19 more so than any other folks. Um, we just try to be mindful of that and, 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 you know, you just have to continue to get tested, right? Um, but we have to also be willing to put our lives and bodies on the line for our liberation, just like our ancestors or we will get nowhere um you know like Malcolm X said by any means necessary and I think that we are in a time and period where we can no longer stand idly um you know (laughs) and just watch all these things happening as if um it's we are somehow immune because um Mm -hmm. very things that we are fighting for and our freedom um it, it we just can no longer um allow the current status quo to continue and we can no longer Accept um, a lack of ca- accountability for people who are supposed to be um, held to a higher standard than the everyday individual. Um, and our lives are literally in their hands and we have to have some sort of checks and balances because when there are no checks and balances, then people become abusive. And that is what we are currently seeing.
2: What does change look like when we talk about
0: policing? That's a pretty interesting question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, Change for me looks like um, people policing in communities in which they live and communities in which they're familiar with the other folks in community um, to where they're not afraid of the individuals within that community. Um, And I think that that's a start. Um, I think it looks like actually um, not re- just reacting but actually responding because we know that police generally only react to something that has already occurred and you know I think when we stop reacting and we respond and we see the humanity in individuals is when we actually begin to bring about meaningful change um, because as much as I want to see um, law enforcement individuals make it home at night I want to see my fellow community members make it home at night as well. Um, And until we start seeing humanity in every person, no matter the color of their skin, um, you know, or sexual orientation, um, then we have an uphill battle um, because I want them to be safe as well. Um, And they have, you know, took an oath to protect and serve. need to do their due diligence in protecting and serving the community as opposed to um, adding more trauma um, and grief within that community by over-policing and seeing um, people's um, skin color as an actual threat.
2: Yes, and you are a phenomenal community activist. I was wondering, if it's, is it difficult being on the front lines Um, And being one of the faces of the movement?
0: Um, It is absolutely the most difficult thing I think I've ever done in my life. Um, And when I first started, I actually wasn't the spokesperson that I wanted to be behind the scenes. But somehow, um, God saw other things for me. um, And I used to ask myself, why me? Um, And a mentor of mine, Andre Taylor, said, why not you? um and like yeah why not me um and from there it took off but you know i think you know when you're on the front lines you have to take the good with the bad um and you know that you know there are a lot of people that are opposed to what you're doing so there becomes um threats against your life um intimidation and other things that come up but i don't really feel like i have a choice um you know after my cousin was uh, killed by the police, uh, I knew that my life would never be the same. Um, and so my job is to help other families and to help other people in the community, never actually have to feel the pain that myself and other families go through. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I continue to stay on the front lines because I'm not only fighting for the justice for Charlene. uh, for Charlena, I am fighting for, um, you Christian and other folks so that you may never know the pain that my family feels so that you will never get that knock at the door so that you will never find out via social media that your loved one has been killed at the hands of police that is why we do what we do and that is why i have to stay on the front lines um and you know some of us may actually end up dying you know and, and hopefully our our generations after us will you know see the fruits of our labor
2: speaking of future generations how can students be change makers what can we do now to start being activists
0: i think um it first comes with um you know knowledge right getting involved in what's going on locally within your community um, what community groups are with, um, in your community that you could, um, you know, reach out to and begin, um, going to meetings and stuff with, we, uh, via virtually or whatever. Um, are there any, any protests that I can lend my voice to, um, you know, and I think that now, even with COVID, you have to do your due diligence and trying to figure out where, uh, your beliefs and values intersect with what's actually going on within the movement. Because I don't believe that this is a moment. I believe that it is a movement, and it's going to continue. And I think um, reaching out to um, you know orgs and impacted family members to see where you can um, you know be of service is um, pretty much all you can do. And I am very accessible, um, so you know it's not hard to find me. It's not hard to find my contact information. Um, I do reach back to people. I do answer emails. I do reach back to people via Facebook and all those sort of kind of media outlets, so I would tell people that's a great way to get involved. Thank you.
2: Would you be able to talk a bit about the inquest process and what happened with it?
0: So the inquest process is um, a fact-finding investigation um, that happens after um, um, someone's loved one has been killed by the police use of deadly force. Um, and historically it has not been favorable to, um, the families that have to go through that process It is currently in King County. Um, they do not have that process in Pierce County. Um, and so, um, after, um, a lot of folks in 2017 and things like that. And again, in 2018 were killed by law enforcement, um, and Sonya Joseph, um, boycotted her inquest of her son, um, Giovanni Joseph McDade. Um, um, there was a reform brought to the inquest process that makes it more um, inclusive for family members that lets us humanize our loved ones, that lets us call witnesses, that lets us, you know, um, not just um, just sit there and go through this, but it does it, it, it makes it it kind of like balance, it, balance it, uh balances it out. Um, where historically it's just been favorable for officers. They just were able to just go in there and just run the gamut on families. And this new process was able to actually dial some of that back and bring community into the fold and actually make it um, better for family members. But the ruling just came down today from um, the judge and all of the reforms that were brought to the inquest process have been snatched away. And so it's a pretty sad day on behalf of community and over 30 some odd families that are waiting to go through the inquest process. Um and I don't know. Um I believe the next steps are to see if the Supreme Court will um take this up and hear him. If not, um, we go back to the status quo. In um, the way things were operating, which was um, very traumatizing and traumatic to families. And I'm not looking forward to any of this.
2: Right. Um, there is, when we talk about checks and balances, there has been some news. So an Auburn officer was recently charged in a 2019 police shooting. How does that make you feel?
0: So um, yes, yesterday, Officer Jeff Nelson the auburn police department was charged with second degree murder um and uh, the killing of jesse saray um a homeless man um who was still deserving of life humanity um and was loved by his family um and i was it was bittersweet to be perfectly honest because uh, when i started out this process for nine forty that the work that I was doing would not actually benefit my family member, but it was gonna be for people that were going to follow my family. Um, And so all those families that fought and turned their pain into purpose on behalf of whoever was going to come next, we are finally being able to see the fruits of that labor.
2: Thank you to our guests and thank you for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts.